Welcome to Women, Conscription and War, a podcast series focused on the actions, motivations and experiences of Melbourne women in the anti-Vietnam War and anti-conscription protests between 1965 and 1972. In case you haven't listened to the introduction to this project and where I give some history of the Vietnam War and conscription in Australia, a few things to keep in mind. First, this is in no way an attack on Vietnam veterans. I am the daughter of one myself. This is filling a gap, not opposing or challenging. Second, I don't necessarily agree with everything my interviewees say, so don't get angry at me for reporting their views. Third, I don't always give the name of the person who's speaking when I use excerpts from interviews. They're always credited on the website, which you'll find at womenconscriptionwar.com. You'll also find complete footnotes for the other work that I've used. Lastly, please note that I have edited these interviews for use in the podcast for clarity and to really hone in on the relevant ideas. Well, two things. Killing is wrong. It's not our war. There must be a better way to deal with this and against conscription. So against our personal rights. So as Christians, we used to believe then that God had the plan for our lives. I don't believe that anymore, but that I believed it strongly then. So therefore, how dare the government interrupt the plan that God had for our lives? One of the reasons for protesting, given by a few of the women I've talked to, was their religious conviction. I've been surprised that it wasn't more of them who said this, actually, and I wonder whether there's some fact in the idea that youths were becoming less religious in the 1960s, and so it would have been middle-aged and older women who had more of a religious sentiment. It's just a guess, and sadly for me, most of those older women have already passed away. In this episode, I'll present some of the religious arguments against the Vietnam War and conscription, and I should say here that almost everything I've found in terms of religion is from a Christian perspective. I did find a document that sets out organisations that a young man could contact concerning, quote, anti-war activity, information or advice, and it listed the Jewish Progressive Centre in Elwood as an option for getting that information. However, I've been unable to find any further information about that place. The Australian Jewish News, a newspaper, noted in May 1970 that a lot of Jewish people attended the moratorium that month in Melbourne, but with no specifics about who or in what numbers. According to Wikipedia, the number of Jewish people in Australia in 1961 seems to have been around 0.5% of the population, mostly split between Melbourne and Sydney. While the proportion of Muslims in Australia was much smaller, it didn't even get to that 0.5% until 1980. Other religions were also tiny. The 1961 census has maybe 1% or 2% of the population being other religion. Varieties of Christian make up about 86% of those who responded. Anyway, that's why this episode seems unbalanced, because Australia was unbalanced at this stage. In this episode, you'll hear from Sue, Faye, Melita and Helen. 
They were born between 1945 and 1953, so they're in their teens and early 20s throughout the Vietnam War period. What led you then to be opposed to Australia being in Vietnam? Well, I was brought up as a Christian, you know, I was baptised and, you know, in my early teens I was conf- I chose to be confirmed. So, you know, my values were you don't hurt people <laughs> or you try not to hurt people. Yeah, so that's probably how it initiated. Would you have said you were opposed to all war or was there something specific about the Vietnam War? Um, no, I, I think I'd be a pacifist anyway, though, of course, when when I was at an age that if I had been a boy, I could have gone into the ballot. You know, I was conscious of the fact that, um, you know, I'd have to... Well, yeah, I mean, I know I wasn't a boy, but, yeah, still myself to 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 say that I was a pacifist, that, you know, no, I, you know, don't want to... Um, be subscripted, you know, and I would be prepared to go to jail if that was the consequence type of thing. That was Faye, and the May 1970 moratorium was the only public demonstration that she attended about the Vietnam War. Her attitude was clearly influenced by her religious values, and so too was Melita, who was a student at Melbourne University. Within the Christian Union, there was all the discussion about just war and the philosophy of Christian philosophy of war and it was pretty clear that this was not a just war so um, it came more from a theoretical point of view of looking at well we're in the middle of this war in our lifetime and should we be you get to university in 1970 what university were you at I was at Melbourne University and so I was quite young and decided to join the Christian Union, which was the EU in those days, Evangelical Union, only because my sister, Jenny, two years older than me, was part of it. And she had a terrific group of friends who used to come to our home all the time. So I wasn't going to... Interesting, I'd made a pact with God that I would leave him alone for a few years, but, you know, (laughs) I um, joined it just because she had fabulous friends and whatever. And it was the EU that decided to march in the 1970 moratorium. Do you remember what the thinking in the EU was around why marching was appropriate? Well, a lot of the guys were up for conscription. So it was towards the end of conscription. And two of my friends and my brother-in-law were conscripted. So we were right in the middle of what that felt like and what that felt like for their careers so they they three interesting stories in their own rights. So we would talk about it as being probably more selfish, more like, how dare you interrupt? You know, mm. I, want, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a whatever, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a... How dare the government send us over to a war that we've already lost? That was the feeling. So because by then, what are we doing in Vietnam? It's America's war. So what are we doing there? Was there any sort of... Christian reason at the EU for yes. objecting? Yes, and this was, and I've seen a video on telly, I've seen a documentary on telly, and it had, a, had the sign, Christians for Peace, and I was behind that flag. I, I marched with the EU. And so it was some of that sort of, you know, 
killing is wrong yes. attitude? Well, two things. Killing is wrong. It's not our war. There must be a better way to deal with this. And against conscription. Yep. So against our personal rights. So as Christians, we used to believe then that God had the plan for our lives. I don't believe that anymore, but that I believed it strongly then. So yep. therefore, how dare the government interrupt the plan that God had for our lives. Helen Hill was at Monash University and involved with the Monash Labour Club, which you can learn about in the two episodes about Monash University. She was also involved with a group called SCM, or the Student Christian Movement. I was wanting to ask whether you were influenced by uh, theology in terms of why you were against war or whether it was a more political reason for being against the war. Do you remember kind of how it started? Yes, look, I, I, in a, a combination of, of both really, um, and I do remember at my first SCM conference being very surprised that there were people there who were members of the Labor Party because I'd grown up in such a conservative uh, circles that, you know, it was assumed that Christians wouldn't vote for the Labor Party. No, that, <laughs> so that was even a bit of a surprise. And, and also because of some of the people in the SCM it, who were quite inspiring um, and, and the history of, of pacifism and peace activities of which quite a few members were, you know, out complete pacifists. And, of course, I had to struggle with the issue of whether to be a complete pacifist when it came to the aid to the NLF campaign. In, and, and we had some good big discussions at an SEM about this, actually, um, because I had realised, and it was really, I guess, the South, the South Africa example that that you ca that you can't, in a sense, achieve total liberation. Sometimes, if you don't pick up a weapon and use it in a you know appropriate way, uh, and war, but but that that you know the sort of war the Vietnam War was wasn't the sort of just war, that's right, just war theory was talked about by the Catholics, that's right. I actually spoke to Helen twice because she currently lives in Dili and we had some serious trouble with our internet connections. So I asked her the same question the second time with a slightly different focus. With the discussions at SCM around conscientious objectors or draft resistors and so on, were people bringing like a, a theological perspective to that or was it more a kind of personal ethics? This, it was very much uh, it, it was very much based on a, on a theological perspective because um, it was to do with the sort of structural um, the aspect of how you bring about social change that if you're just going to be a conscientious objector, you may avoid your own, you know, committing your own sin of being involved in an unjust war, but you're not going to change the system. But, but it was using the arguments from, from the Bible, you know, from the traditional Christian pacifist arguments. And But it's true that not everybody believed you had to be a pacifist. In the case of the Vietnam War, not all Christians believed 
well, certainly not all Christians believed in Christian pacifism because a lot were of, were of behind the war, you know, and you had chaplains and you had people who were fully uh, believing that the war. But the Vietnam War, I think the Vietnam War, unlike any other political event, certainly in my lifetime, did change people's view on, you know, made pacifism a more acceptable mainstream position to hold, which, you know, particularly in the church, particularly among Christians, because, um, you know, whereas previously people thought, you know, well, I can be against conscription and, and originally, you know, the Methodists, this was particularly in the Methodist church, they were against conscription because of the ballot, because it was by chance that you were picked that it's it related to their opposition to gambling, <laughs> you know, um, and and that there was some discussion about this, uh, and and others who were not against the method of selection, but against the concept of requiring people to go to the army. You know, that's the uh, because there had been a, a referendum against conscription in the past, you know, in in the in Australia's history, they'd voted against conscription. Uh, so, it, but you still, but, but there there were not so many that fully believed in passion. But you see, the other interesting thing about SCM is SCM has quite a body of Quakers in it, and Quakers have have all examined this issue closely. Examined, you know. Quakers do believe in pacifism as a personal belief as well as a policy, and a lot of Presbyterians and Methodists hadn't really thought about this. But we had some significant members of SCM that were actual Quakers, you know, had been come from Quaker families too, so who'd been Quakers. And then some joined Quakers, you know, some other people from the Uniting Church and Anglicans became Quakers because they were inspired. You know, the Vietnam War influenced people to thinking about the war and peace issues so much that they'd become Quakers. Christians got involved in airing their views in other ways, of course, and there were a couple of groups who got organised around the issues. The group Christians for Peace was formed in 1971, and they were responsible for holding a church service outside of Fairley Women's Prison in April 1971 as part of a protest against the jailing of the so-called Fairley Five for willful trespass. You can hear more about what happened then in my episode about Save Our Sons. According to the newspaper The Age, on the 12th of April 1971, there are about 400 people at this service and, quote, at the height of the service, demonstrators turned two loud amplifiers towards the prison so the inmates could hear, which I'm sure was at least a diversion for the women in prison. In looking through the archives, I found reference to a folk singing and afternoon tea organised by the Eastern Suburban Branch of Christians for Peace, at which Miss Vera Fowler, a Methodist and a solicitor, would speak about the National Service Act. In the same 
archive box as that newsletter, I found a letter from that same branch of Christians for Peace, which notes that their secretary is Mrs. Shirley Khan of Nunawading. So women were clearly involved in the organisational aspect of this group. Another Christian group interested in peace was the Catholic organisation PAX, which is the word for peace in Latin. It was started in late 1966 and continued until 1970. The constitution of PAX doesn't explicitly mention the Vietnam War, but declares that its object is, quote, the quest through prayer, study and action for peace with justice and freedom for the whole human family. And it can't be a coincidence that it was begun in Australia during our involvement with the Vietnam War. The PAX Constitution lists the means by which these objectives might be achieved and includes that PAX would add its voice and active support to those working for peace and understanding between people. In the Melbourne University archives, I found a stack of PAX membership forms. From 1967 and 1968, there were 96 in the box and 29 of them, by my count, name women as the people applying for membership. That's, of course, not to say that those were the only women involved. I don't know if all the membership applications were kept, and no doubt some of those forms represent a couple or a household. So with some or many of the forms with men's names on them, there may well have been a wife who was as committed as her husband. It still does give some sense of the fact that there were definitely women who, presumably, identified as Catholic and who were committed to the idea of peace. As well, the box included correspondence from Mrs Moira Dynan on behalf of herself and her husband, thanking Mr O'Connor of PAX for inviting them to participate in Catholic Work for Peace in November 1966 and Kathleen Forster, a Melbourne University arts student, also wrote a letter to Mr O'Connor in October of 1966, having read his letter in the newspaper The Advocate and been very impressed by his words. She says that she has been concerned by, quote, the problem of peace and war in general, and especially at present, again clearly referring to the Vietnam War and showing that women who identified as Catholic, were interested in these issues. A lot of letter writing to newspapers went on from Christians. 19-year-old Anne Sherwin had her letter to the newspaper The Age published on the 20th of May 1968. In it, she declares herself, quote, strongly anti-communist, and says that she joined demonstrations because, quote, I feel very strongly that no human has the right or should want to kill or cause harm to another human. Under this philosophy, based on my Christian beliefs, I would refuse to register for national service were I a young man. I feel no government has the right to force anyone to join the army, not even those who believe war is a plausible means of settling idealistic and national differences. The Age published this letter under the heading Candid View of Girl Student. Then there are the letters that were sent to denomination newspapers. 
I had the chance to visit the Uniting Church archives in Melbourne, where I looked through issues of Australian Presbyterian life and the Methodist Spectator. Now, I admit I didn't look through the entire gamut of 1965 through to 1972 because time was limited, but I did come across a few letters from women that indicate that the Vietnam War and National Service were certainly on the minds of at least some readers of those newspapers. For example, in June 1968, Helen Simpson wrote to Australian Presbyterian Life to say she supported Sydney draft resistor Simon Townsend and said, quote, Christians will have to take more action on the Vietnam issue than giving to austere, admirable though that may be. Austere was a charity. In that same issue, Nell Spencer wrote to advertise a petition to the Prime Minister, quote, requesting that our government strongly urges the USA to arrange a ceasefire in Vietnam without delay. And she urges, quote, all sincere Christian people in search of peace to sign it. In April 1969, there's a short article entitled Just Write to Your Member, which discusses how Mrs Katie Wright followed the advice of a recent editorial in the newspaper and wrote a letter to the federal politicians representing her area, asking questions like, did they think the Australian Council of Church's report on conscientious objection a reasonable one? She actually went further than just letter writing and actually phoned the politicians who didn't respond in writing. And even then, one Liberal politician and one Labor politician never got back to her. At the end of the article, Mrs Wright encourages others to likewise contact politicians to make their views known. In September 1970, Mrs A. Derrida wrote a letter after hearing that the tonnage of bombs so far dropped on North Vietnam was twice the number of bombs the Allies dropped on Japan in World War II. She asked, quote, How can the church be silent while we are letting people suffer hunger and agony when even the worst people are made in God's image? Also in 1970, In that newspaper comes a piece from Vera Fowler, who was mentioned earlier as a Methodist and a solicitor. This time she's writing in her role as chairman on the Council of the Department of Christian Citizenship. She is reporting from the Methodist Conference and and explaining why they aren't bothering to keep urging the government to deal appropriately with conscientious objectors. It's not because they no longer believe in conscientious objectors, but rather, quote, in view of work already done and the failure of the government to heed our resolutions, nothing is to be gained from making it conference policy. The rest of her article really condemns the government's treatment of conscientious objectors and indeed the whole process of applying. In May 1971, these two issues of war and conscription are brought together by Miss Isabel B. Pinkerton, who powerfully argues that imprisoning boys who refuse to kill in the same jail as those who willfully kill makes no sense, and that, quote, there is a gulf between mouthing verbal prayers for peace and then resolutely condoning the Vietnam War, and, in particular, our involvement in it. 
All of those letters and articles were in the Australian Presbyterian life. Over in the Methodist Spectator, there's a letter from September 1965, so right at the start of Australia's involvement in Vietnam, from Merrill Walsh, arguing that the lads who choose the conscientious objector route have great courage. In October 1966, Vera Fowler, again, expressed her gratitude to the police. They had seized a pamphlet called American Atrocities in Vietnam because the pamphlet had been deemed obscene. Fowler says that she read it precisely because of the political furor around it and as a result is now so incensed that she concludes her letter with, quote, During the last World War, many of my contemporaries volunteered and many died that decency might prevail. After reading the Vietnam pamphlet, I know that they died in vain. By 1967, the issue of the Vietnam War is getting enough attention that a meeting of the Methodist Women's Federation was given a speech about the history of Vietnam and its current events by a man who was vocal in his opposition to the war, namely Reverend Bruce Silverwood. Finally, I'll conclude this episode with a discussion of Mrs. Claire Graff. Now, I can't find very much information about her, sadly. An article in the newspaper The Age on the 28th of July 1970 entitled Angry Scenes as SM Rejects Anti-NS Charges, NS is National Service, the article notes that Claire Graff, 50, of Kramer Street, Preston, is one of 22 people charged over disorder in Melbourne Magistrates' Court. An earlier article from the Herald in May 1968 names an 18-year-old Peter John Graff, also of Preston, as being arrested in Canberra for obstructing traffic outside the Prime Minister's house. I can only assume that this Peter is Claire's son. And it was clearly a family-wide position because I also found a letter in the Australian Presbyterian life from Reverend John Graff in 1971, also opposing conscription. Most importantly, I can only assume that this is the same Claire Graff who calls herself a member of the Presbyterian Church and a Presbyterian minister's wife, who wrote a statement in August 1971 in which she says, among other things, quote, Christianity and conscription are incompatible and that conscription of any kind and especially of conscription to kill is in flagrant contradiction of Jesus Christ's teaching and in fact the whole of scripture. She goes on to say that, quote, strictly speaking, the Christian has no choice but to disobey the National Service Act, nor have I any other choice but to urge young men not to comply with it. And it must be reminded that urging young men not to comply was itself an offence. Now again, I don't know why this statement was made or who who received it. The archival box I found it in had no external context. I also found a list of people you can contact about not registering or about draft resistance and John Graff is listed as the contact for North Melbourne. The last thing I want to leave you with 
about Claire Graff is a letter she wrote to the Federal Attorney General in May 1972. In it, she explains that she will not be paying the fine of $20 that she has been given for handing out Do Not Register leaflets outside the Melbourne GPO. Over two typed pages, she lays out her reasoning for her actions and she concludes with these words. It is my sincere hope that I have made it clear to you that it is not a negative defiance of the law and authority which impels me not to pay the fine in question, but a positive thinking and acting out of what ought to be the Christian's attitude towards conscription, freedom to propagate one's convictions, and opposition to grave injustice. Thanks for listening to this episode of Women, Conscription and War. If you enjoyed it, maybe you could tell someone else about it or leave a review somewhere to help other people find it. My immense thanks to all the people I spoke to for this episode. You can find a complete list of them on my website, womenconscriptionwar.com, as well as a bibliography and some relevant images. My thanks also to Sarah Tomasetti, who gave permission to use her mother Glenn Tomasetti's music in this project. It's a moment from her song, The Ballad of William White, that you hear between sections throughout this podcast.